I want to do something that's a little bit off script right now. Uh, This Friday is a very special day in our nation. Do we have any veterans in our midst? And if we do, would you please stand so that we can thank you for your service? Uh, And we will have a special prayer for you as well later. Uh, But that kind of leads in as well to uh, what I want to start with this new series that we have. And I want to start with a very powerful example of sacrificial self-giving. How many have seen the movie Dunkirk? Great, great. This is a real picture of the condition on the beaches back in May of 1940. The Allied soldiers, nearly 340,000 of them, were trapped on the French port of Dunkirk on the beaches with the German army closing in on them, and they were trapped. And a remarkable act of heroic sacrifice... Uh, A huge armada of 800 to 1,200 vessels, not just naval, but even civilian uh, fishing boats, yachts, lifeboats, pleasure craft, maritime marine vessels, uh, 800 to 1,200 of them started to make the the 21-mile journey across the English Channel to go begin to rescue the 340,000 soldiers that were trapped on those beaches of Dunkirk. And in just 10 days, at great risk to their own lives, at great expense for fuel, and maybe even the loss of their own vessel and livelihood, all the soldiers were brought back safely to the beaches of England. There's just something that is very compelling about a voluntary, sacrificial, self-giving act. That's the setting today as we look at two chapters of the Bible over these next three weeks and talk about a life of generosity. The context is this, that Paul exhorts the Christians in in Corinth who just the previous year under Pastor Titus had started a love offering to help their Jewish Christians in Jerusalem who were suffering under a very extreme famine. And what had started off so strong had now all but stalled out. So Paul exhorts them in these two chapters to finish the love offering that they had started. But here's the cool thing. Paul doesn't beat them over the heads with the law. He doesn't 
lash out with a bunch of cruel and harsh and demanding words to finish what they started. And instead, Paul lets the gospel do the changing of their lives. And Paul holds before them and before us today two radical examples of generosity to compel the Corinthian Christians to finish what they had earlier started. Let's look at the first example. It's good. Verse 1 Paul says, and now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches, meaning the Christians in Philippi, Thessalonica, and Berea. And he says, out of the most severe tribulation, their abundant joy and deep poverty abounded in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able, even beyond their means. Entirely on their own, they begged us for the grace of sharing in this service for the saints in Jerusalem. They gave themselves first to the Lord and then to us in this work. Two words I want to draw attention to here. Notice Paul says these churches in Philippi, Berea, and Thessalonica gave out of their deep poverty. That word deep there in Greek is the word bathos. It's where we get our English word bath from. It simply means deep. It's also where the word bathysphere comes from. When a submarine goes down to the very bottom of a lake or ocean floor and starts to scan around, that's bathos. What was the condition in the life of these Christians in Asia Minor when they participated in this love offering? They were bathos. <laughs> They were in the rock-bottom financial straits themselves. And yet they didn't just do it, Paul says, entirely on their own. Did you note that they begged Paul for the opportunity to also collect in this offering for the Christians in Jerusalem? Paul, please take the offering. <laughs> Send it up here. We want to give. We want to help. Please, Paul, we beg you. Let us participate in that love offering to help those brothers and sisters in famine. That's radical generosity. They're trying to make ends meet themselves and out of that bathos, deep poverty, Paul said they abound in rich generosity. And notice what he says in verse 4. They not only give, but they gave more than they were even able to. We call that well beyond their means. 
how do we explain <laughs> this Macedonian formula that out of their own severe tribulation and their own deep poverty, they weren't angry at God. They didn't hate the Christian faith. And if that's how hard it's going to be and, and this is how much we're going to struggle, why would we ever want this Christian thing? This isn't what we're signing up for. There's none of that. But out of their severe tribulation and their deep poverty, actually come abundant joy and rich generosity? How do we ever explain that, humanly speaking? Because by all human logic, that equation does not add up. Paul told us the answer in verse 1. We want you to know about the grace that God gave the Macedonian churches who would then beg to share in the grace of that love offering. There's only one thing that it can account for such radical generosity, not quantity-wise because they were in the straits themselves, but quality-wise. Only one thing that can explain that, and that's the incredible grace of God that God poured out on the Christians in those churches, and we now see working in and through them to live this radical life of generosity for other brothers and sisters in need. See, there's something very compelling about a voluntary, sacrificial, self-giving act of generosity. And if that example wasn't enough to spur the Corinthian Christians to finish the love offering that they had started at the end of our section today, Paul adds the clincher. It's like he puts the chocolate fudge and the whipped cream and the sprinkles and even the cherry on top. Look at this radical example, number two. Paul says in verse 9, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, for your sake he became poor, so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. Jesus Christ, from eternity, had all the glories and riches of heaven. And yet he so willingly and so eagerly came down and would take on a frail, mortal human body. And as you start with the conception and go all the way to the end... His whole ministry here is marked by poverty. Where was his first nursery? As a baby. 
a stall in Bethlehem. And where was his first crib as a baby? A feeding trough for animals. And then Jesus, as he continued to grow, was always on the move, going from town to town to town to village to village to village. He never had one square foot of property to his own name. Not even a place to lay his head. And as the king, he would be crowned, but by twisted thorns. And as the king, he would be lifted on a throne, but it was a wooden cross. And then even in the darkest hours of his greatest need, those who were closest to him, when Jesus needed them most, fled. And then the dagger was when his own father even turned his own back on his only son. You know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that though he was rich, he became poor, bankrupt, losing even his own life. Why? So that we, who are spiritually dead, and flat, broke, and sin might become what? Rich. What does it mean for you and for me today that we are rich? What does Paul mean? It means that the balance in your account is astronomical. More than you could ever comprehend or count. That right now, as God looks on you, here's what he sees. This is how rich you are. He sees the full righteousness of Jesus Christ in your place. And every single one of our sins is forgiven gone. There's not even a record of it. And it also means that this right here, your body is holy ground. That your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit himself who lives in you. And it also means that you have a whole new family that transcends any border, any culture, any language, any race, any economic or social standing, you have a family and belonging. And you always have incredible hope. And if that weren't rich enough, you also have a reservation at Jesus' table 
and the new heaven and new earth to come when he returns. And this is not a computing error. (laughs) This is not a mistake. This is grace. This is the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. And will we fully bask in how rich we are because of Jesus Christ? Can we also not, along with those Corinthian Christians, be compelled to have a posture like this? And every time we volunteer a little time, or every time that we lend someone who is hurting a listening ear, every time We might help someone with their leaves or prepare a meal for them. Every time we might help someone run an errand or even give them a ride. Whenever we make a donation to charity or or an offering to his church. It's not just us. It's that grace of God given to us, and now working in and through us. And here's the effect. All to God's glory, right? All to His glory. Our lives also become a compelling example of a voluntary, sacrificial, self-giving, life of generosity. Amen. I will have some questions later, three questions during our upper room time to help sit with these words of God more and, and soak them in and how we can then go and live them out. Because it's incredible, incredible grace.